the word of our Lord from Paul's letter to the Colossians. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of all perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Almighty God, who truly to know is everlasting life, grant us so perfectly to know your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leads to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. We've been talking for the last few weeks about the implications of declaring as the people of God the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Because He lives, we have observed that He is with His people. He meets with His people, the church. He meets us in worship. He meets us through the sacraments. He meets with us because He loves us and longs to be with us. And so through His Holy Spirit, He's able to, to be present with us and among us and through us. Because He lives, He also is at work in the world through His people. He has given us His Spirit and He's called us to the ministry of reconciliation so that we might pour out our lives for the sake of others and draw others into the life-giving presence of Christ among us. 
And so his resurrection gives life to our ministry. It gives life and substance to the work that we are about in the world. As we minister in compassion, as we do works of mercy, as we share the love of Jesus with those in need, he works through us as his people. Last week we looked at the fact that because he resurrected from the dead, we also await a resurrection from the dead. Our destiny is not just to live forever without bodies as though this body is some, is some bad thing that needs to be discarded. But instead, He will raise up our bodies too is the hope of the New Testament. He will raise us up and glorify and redeem even our bodies. And so the way we live in this life matters. The way we conduct ourselves in this body matters because there's dignity in the bodies that God has created for us. And there's also the hope that they will be redeemed as well. And so this morning, we are banking our hope and our faith upon an an historical event, the, the fact of the resurrection, that Christ actually came out of the tomb with His body, that He rose again and that His body was glorified. And in banking our hope on that, in putting our faith in that event of history, we're going to look at what are the implications for the way we live in this life, how we conduct ourselves, What does the resurrection say about this life that we live? Not just just, uh, how we minister to others, but also how we interact with one another. Because He lives, He will renew His people. What is harmed by the fall of Adam is healed by the resurrection of Jesus. All of it. Every bit of us that was marred and broken, every bit of us that became diseased by the fall, every bit of us, the the whole image of God in us that has been distorted and has been bent by the fall, Christ has healed in the resurrection. He has united divinity with our human flesh. The key to understanding the renewal that is offered to us in the resurrection of Christ, the renewal of this life and this image that God created in us, the key is found in what Paul says in verse 10 of this chapter. He says, We have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him Who created him? The image of God is being renewed in us as we live in Christ, as we bank our faith on him, as we put our belief into him. That image of God in us is being renewed because he, Paul says, is the very image of Christ. There's a a fascinating a very fascinating 
play with these terms that's found throughout scriptures, uh, it, throughout the scriptures. In the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us that we were created in the image of God, that we were created in His likeness. And all throughout the scriptures, but particularly there in the fall, you begin to see what that image is composed of based on all of the broken things of Adam and Eve's lives. You see a brokenness in their relationship with God. You see a brokenness in their relationship with one another. And ultimately, you see a brokenness in their relationship with the entire created order. This image is primarily about relationships. It is primarily about how they relate to one another and how they relate to their creator. This image is a very social and relational image. There is a reason why loneliness is one of the deepest hurts in the human heart. There's a reason why rejection hurts so much. We were created for community. We were created to know and love others. We were created in God's image. But Paul tells us that Christ himself, the incarnate one, the eternal son of the father who, be, who took on flesh for our sakes to redeem us, that he is the image of the invisible God, which is an amazing way of playing around with words because, he, because to be invisible means you cannot be seen. What Paul is essentially saying is he is what can be seen of the God who can't be seen. And so we're created in God's image and the eternal image of God has come to redeem that image. Paul says we've put on the new man who is being renewed, who is being brought into knowledge, who's being brought into relationship to know and love God. And he's being renewed to the image. That image that was lost. That image that was broken. That image that was, that was marred, that was diseased, that has been bent. Is being renewed in us through faith in Christ. Again, what is harmed by the fall of Adam is healed by the resurrection of Jesus. All of it. And so what we find is a healing of God's image in us. That image is being renewed. That image that is composed of, of, of relationships with God, relationships with others, relationships with the world, and even relationships with ourselves. That image is being renewed through faith in Christ. Paul talks in his theology about we being far off and God bringing us near through the blood of His Son. He talks about us not being a people, but being brought together as a people. He talks here about how we once walked when we, when we lived in those different sins. We once walked in those ways. 
He's talking about a former life, a former distance from God, a former brokenness. And he says that God has brought us near. He's brought us back into covenantal relationship with God. And as he brings us into covenantal relationship with himself, he directs our eyes toward others. Because there is no living a Christian life in isolation. There is no living a Christian life apart from living it among others. And so the relationships that we have in this life are of the utmost importance. The relationships that we have with our spouses. The relationships that we have with our children or with our parents. The relationships that we have with our friends and even our enemies. Even those who treat us poorly. The way we live among one another is of the utmost importance. The way we interact, the way we speak. And it brings up all sorts of different conceptions of where our minds can go down the rabbit trails of what that sort of sin looks like. Wrath and anger, malice, filthy talk. Living in passion and evil desire. But Christ, the eternal image of the Father, He offers us healing as He renews the image of God in us. He is able to heal our relationships. He is able to bring us back into the loving embrace of our Father. He is able to to teach us how to lovingly embrace others. And He heals also our way of living. That's essentially what the whole whole context of this passage is about. As Paul is turning his, his theology from a conception of doctrine and what Christ has done in our behalf and who Christ is in the first couple of chapters of his letter to the Colossians, he begins in chapter 3 to turn his attention on what are the implications of that doctrine. If this, then what? What now? How do we live? And what he offers to us is not just some escapism where we can where we can believe in Jesus and this world just doesn't matter. But instead what he offers to us is, is a theology that is able to transform even this life and the way we live. He offers us a new way to be human. A new way to live. And that's rooted in a new way to think. Because Christ is able to renew our way of thinking. Paul says at the very opening of this chapter, and he's speaking rhetorically here, if then you were raised with Christ, and here he's using some baptismal language of being buried with Christ and being raised up to newness of life in covenantal relationship with God, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. 
Again, he's not talking about an escapist mentality here. He's talking about a renewed mentality. We know he's not talking about just some otherworldly escapism where this life just doesn't matter and where the, the, the hang-ups and the hurts in this life and the broken relationships in this life just don't matter because they're going to pass away anyways. We know that he's not saying that because the, the, the whole thrust of the chapter is about living differently in this life. It's about relating to others differently. In fact, all of those all those sins that he talks about, whether it be fornication or wrath, whether it would be malice or blasphemy, filthy language, uncleanness, all of those are relational sins. Sins that aren't just hidden in the heart, but sins that are always related to someone else. Even if we think we hide them in our hearts. We think we can bottle it up and keep those, those evil feelings, those evil thoughts within ourselves. They're still, even, even if the other person is ignorant, they're even still directed toward another. Whether they'd be thoughts of, of lust, as he mentions here, or whether they'd be thoughts of vengeance. They're still relational sins. But God in Christ offers us the renewal of our minds. He offers us the opportunity to set our minds into a, toward a, a reality that transcends our brokenness. That transcends the disease of our souls. Because He is able to, the God who raised his son up from the dead. Again, bodily. We cannot escape the miracle of Easter to try to jump into some theology of Easter living. Our Easter living is based upon the miracle that is Easter. If God is able to raise up the dead body of his eternal son from the grave, then He is also able to raise up our dead souls to live new life. He tells us a little bit about the old life. And He puts it in very dr dramatic language when He talks to us about that old life. He tells us in verse 5 that we are to put to death certain things. That we are to kill, that we are to be, that we are to violently destroy certain things in our life. See, if our life in Christ is to have its way with us, some things in our lives must die. If our life in Christ is to have its way with us, some things in our lives must die. He lists some things. He mentions sexual immorality, uncleanness, passion, and evil desire. And then he couples those with something that we often miss the significance of. 
covetousness. And he, notice he offers a little bit of a commentary for that to, to define what he means by covetousness, which is idolatry. It's amazing that the Ten Commandments, the, the Hebrew people refer to them as the ten words, the ten things that God says to those Israelites who said, yes, we will live in covenantal relationship with you, Yahweh. That tenth word was thou shalt not covet. We think of it as almost kind of like a, an addendum. You know, it's kind of like a, a coverall or a catch-all. But to covet, Paul says, is idolatry. To put things, whether they would be objects, like a car or a house, or whether they would be abstracts, like the type of personality that somebody has or the type of influence or power that a person has or whether they be people. He mentions the maidservant or the manservant, the wife. To covet, to put things in this life above our love for others. To want to have what we don't have. So much so that we're willing to, to wish it away from another. Paul says that is idolatry. That is to put those things, those people, those abstract concepts, those those possessions, to put those things even above God because they're hidden within our heart as something we desperately want. Paul says, put these things to death. Kill them. For the sake of your soul, for the sake of your relationship with God, for the sake of others, Put to death these things that will consume you. Why must we kill them? Because they will rot us from the inside out. They will consume our lives. And in consuming our lives, they will consume our very being if we do not kill them. In verse 8, he says that we are to put things off. To get them away from us. Because if our lives live before others are to be a thing of beauty as it, they ought to be, some things must go. He says, anger and wrath, malice and blasphemy, filthy language, those things must go. He says also, do not lie to one another. Why does he say do not lie to one another? Because you have put off the old man with his deeds and you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of, of, of him who created him. So he says, don't lie to one another because the old life is gone and the new life is here. 
You are being renewed and you must live honestly before one another. Your word must mean something. So put these things off. Get them out of your lives. It was 13, 13 almost 14 years ago, I think, I was walking down the, uh, uh, the streets of Atlanta and I, on one side of me was, was a girl in the youth group and on another side of me was my sister. And I'm walking down the street, I think we're walking away from a, from a concert and uh, there's a street preacher out there and he doesn't know anybody that's passing him but he sure knows the sins of their lives and he hollers out to me, you better lose one of them, buddy. It's a dead end street. And that will that will I, that might be the last thing I think of before I die. Hopefully, many 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 years from now. But that that crazy crazy experience has lived with me ever since. Because on the one hand, the guy was a nut, and and I thought you have no earthly idea. But on the other hand, he sounded almost like almost like Paul here. Now, Paul is being inspired by God and Paul is writing to people. He's not trying to point to their individual sins and let them know what they need to get rid of. But he does say there are things in our lives that we must put off and there are things in our lives that we must simply put to death because there are some things that are a dead end street that will destroy us, that will ruin us and that will also ruin our relationships with others. And we must get rid of them. We must do away with them. We must even go to the point of destroying them when we find them. Because it's the little foxes that destroy the vineyard. We must hunt them down and get rid of them. Why must we put off these things? Because they are not becoming of Christ. And they will destroy us if we let them. I've been reading a book titled Between Heaven and Mirth. And it's about joy and laughter and humor. And how those are spiritual disciplines and ought to be a part of our spiritual lives in Christ. And you might wonder, well, how in the world does, does laughter and joke telling and that sort of thing, how does that relate really to my, to my spiritual life? Well, I'll just have to encourage you to pick up the book and read it. It's been a very fascinating book, a very good, good and helpful book. But one of the things that has, uh, has, has kind of been driven home into my heart through reading this book is the place of things that we might be able to very reasonably justify in our lives. Things like frustration and disappointment and, and even anger. The scriptures do tell us that, that we're, we're afforded the opportunity to be angry but not sin. But the fact is that some of us are living lives that are so that are so fixed on those things that frustrate and so fixed on those things that, that, that burn us up or fixed on those things that are disappointing in life that we miss the good, we miss the joy, we miss the peace. 
And we need to make room in our lives for joy and peace and happiness and well-being. Life's too short to be angry all the time. Life's too short to be constantly disappointed. And life's too short for our relationships with others to be hurt by our brokenness. We need to yield ourselves in the old way of living to God who is able to renew us as His people. Again, if God is able to raise up His Son Jesus from the dead, He is able to raise up the deadness of our broken souls. Paul says we've been brought into a new life and that old life has been put away. And the deeds of it and the mindset of it, the way of living in that old life, it needs to be done away with because there's a new life to be lived. And he enumerates in verse 12 and then again in verse 14 a a, a series of things that we ought to be putting on in our lives. He says to put on tender mercies and kindness. Put on humility, meekness, long-suffering. And he says above all of these things, all these good things that we need to put on in our lives, we need to put on love. And he calls love the bond of perfection. It is what perfectly holds all of these characteristics well and together in the life of the believer. Paul says that the, the love that we have becomes a law for us. It is, it is the guiding principle of our lives. It is the guiding standard for what it means to follow Jesus. It is to love God with everything and to love others just as ourselves. But one of the interesting things that he couples with this new way of living that we're to be putting on and is he says that we ought to be living lives in which we are forgiving others who sin against us and that we ought to be bearing others who seem to be a burden to us. We have found in Christ forgiveness of our sins. We have found in Him an opportunity to be brought near having been far off. We found in Him a new life that we are afforded the opportunity to live and the old life being wiped away. And in our lives and in the way we interact with others, we ought to be extending that same opportunity for newness to others, offering them forgiveness when they sin against us, and offering them the opportunity to be born, to bear them when being in a relationship with them is a tough thing. 
You know, we all have scars on our souls. Because that image of God in us is marred, God offers to us healing. But healing still often leaves scars. It still often leaves wounds that were once there and are still a bit visible. So in relating to one another, as Paul speaks of this relational theology of of being brought together as the people of God and living life together, to living life with the joy of forgiveness and with the joy of new life in Christ. One of the things that he acknowledges is that there are going to be times where we must bear with one another. There are going to be times where it's going to be heavy to carry one another. There are going to be times where those scars that we see in one another are going to tempt us to push away, to say that's not that's not for me to to carry. But because we've been brought near to Jesus, because we've been brought together as his people, we must bear with one another. And we must forgive. I want to read to you an excerpt from a uh, paper that Dennis Kinlaw wrote titled The Power Power Through Strengthlessness. And some of you will recognize this story from some of his books. But Dr. Kinlaw says, I was a senior in seminary. We had a very elderly lecturer on our campus. I found myself sitting on a bench with him on the college campus. And he said to me, son, Henry Clay Morrison was a great preacher. And I said, oh, yes, our family came to the Lord because of his ministry. Elsie, who became my wife, came to Asbury, and the second week she was there, Henry Clay Morrison preached, and she found Christ. So I know that Henry Clay Morrison was a great preacher. He was the greatest I ever heard. The elderly man said, no, you don't understand what I mean. So I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I was preaching in a camp meeting with him back in the old days. One Sunday morning I preached. There was a great crowd, and the Spirit came, and it was glorious. You know, there are days when you preach better than, you, than what you're capable of preaching. It was one of those days, and I loved it. The elderly man continued, That night, Henry Clay Morrison was to preach. and Everyone knew Henry Clay Morrison was a, a greater preacher than I was. He preached on Moses in the giving of the law at Sinai. The lightning flashed and the thunder rolled and the earth shook under our feet. But the longer he preached, the more a little suspicion grew in me. We had a great service this morning, but tonight Henry Clay Morrison is preaching. It has got to be greater. When the service was over, I went to my tent. I said my prayers. I called. I crawled in my cot. There I lay in the darkness. Things got quiet on the campground in total darkness. When suddenly I heard somebody in the grass outside my tent. I knew someone was moving there and then. 
To my surprise, the person came into my tent and started fumbling with the canvas opening to the tent. And to my shock, he came into the tent. I didn't say anything. I just lay there. The person fumbled around in the dark until he found the foot of my cot. And then he got down on his knees and buried his face in the covers over my feet and wept like his heart would break. I never said a word. He never said a word. It wasn't necessary. Spirit spoke to spirit. Son, Henry Clay Morrison was a great man. See, the way of the world, the earthly way of thinking, as Paul calls it here, would say that that sort of behavior is ludicrous. Why does it matter if we offend others? Why does it matter if we fall short? After all, we're only human. What more did you expect? I'm living for me. You're living for you. Sometimes those two things don't work together and sometimes folks get hurt, but hurts we can get over. But the gospel of Christ tells us that because God raised His Son Jesus from the dead, He is able to raise up that broken mentality of our souls. He is able to raise up our sickness. He is able to raise up that which has been damaged and marred. He is able to renew us. He is able to impress upon our hearts not some overwhelming and inescapable sense of guilt that we'll never get past, but He is able to raise in our hearts a sensitivity for the need of forgiveness and the need of bearing. And He calls us to live lives that are different. That are different than what is commonly seen in the world. That are different than what naturally comes out of that way of thinking. That this life doesn't matter. God declares to us in the resurrection of His Son Jesus. This life does indeed matter. This body matters. And what we do with it how we use it to give mercy to others to find joy to offer peace to be a source of kindness to be broken and humble to suffer with one another those things indeed do matter and he offers us that new life, that new way of living, that new way of thinking, that newness in our relationships with Him through His Son, Jesus. Paul offers to us an end cap kind of like that tenth word in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Paul says in the very end that all things, no matter what we do, whether it be in word or in deed, that all that we do and all that we live ought to be done in the name of Jesus. Jesus. 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. May that be the testimony of our lives. May that be a sign of the image of God in us being renewed. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we give ourselves to you and we pray that you would heal us of our hurts. We pray that you would restore in us your image. We pray that you would renew our minds and that you would renew our living. We pray that you would renew our relationship with you and our relationships with others. Lord, we pray that you would heal that which is broken. That you would touch that which has been marred. We pray that you would straighten that which has been bent. And may the evidence of that be seen in the totality of our lives, in our words and in our deeds, in our relating to others, in the way we speak to and with one another, in the way we forgive and in the way we bear one another. Lord, may your resurrection power be seen and be evident. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus, who rose again and offers us joy and peace and hope in life. Amen.